Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Notice That is a project of Think Beyond a listener-funded media house focused on connecting humans through therapy and art. To keep this podcast going, we'd love for you to support us on Patreon by searching patreon.com slash thinkbeyondhealing in your favorite web browser. And don't forget to check out our new merch by going to our website at connectbeyondhealing.com and clicking on the merchandise tab. Right. Well, thank you guys for taking the time out of your Thursday afternoon to join us for this discussion. We have gotten so many emails and comments and questions of people who are wanting to know more about what is SIP. They hear us talk about it on the podcast and other groups. So we figured we would just do a live event like this and share about it um, as a way to kind of summarize what this training is and how it really can help support your work as a clinician. So SIP is really quite specifically, it's a tool for case conceptualization. Um, we've seen kind of a, a gap in the field of clinicians learning a lot of modalities and a lot of tools for what to do with their clinicians, but missing the piece of making sense of the cases in a way that helps support them and like how to apply those modalities in the most effective manner. So when we were really coming together and and putting this training together, it was with the intention of filling that gap um, to help therapists be able to make better sense of what's going on in the therapy room, make better sense of the the stories that they're getting from their clients to be able to then say, oh, this is where I can bring out this tool or this intervention uh, for the sake of of a broader healing. Yeah, I think the other um, thing that we say a lot that really helps people understand what the the intention of SIP is, is that it really is a set of lenses that we can look through. So rather than it being the thing that's going to tell you exactly what to do in session, it's a way of looking at our work. And we like to say that it goes from microscope to telescope right? It helps us look at the fine details of the moment-to-moment interactions with our clients. And it also really helps us zoom out and look at the big picture and make sense of the thing as a whole and all the bits in between. Um, And so that is one of the hardest things that we do in our work is really move in and out of the granular moment-to-moment work and then conceptualizing that big picture and uh, looking at the treatment plan as a whole. So SIP is designed to help us do that zoom in and zoom out. Mm -hmm. This image here that I'm sharing is 
really our imagery around the lenses that Melissa is talking about. We have, you know, borrowed the brilliance and wisdom of these three theoretical orientations as different lenses to look at a case through and really view that when we bring those lenses together, when we synthesize those orientations is where we're going to have the most clear perspective of the, the situation. So we're looking specifically at attachment and neurodevelopment, somatic psychology, and adaptive information and processing. Um, and kind of in that, that realm, we're looking at memory and how memory is stored. Um, so when we when we come at a case, whether it's a moment with a client or the larger treatment perspective with these three lenses, and bringing all of that information, we can really start to see things more clearly, be able to make um, more accurate decisions, um, and have more attuned instincts on how we show up for the client, what modalities we apply. So SIP is really synthesizing the theoretical integration of those three models. Um, and as we bring that together, we're holding that within the relationship. So being able to work within those three orientations with a, a big emphasis on the therapeutic relationship. And we'll talk a little bit more as we go through, but the, the concept of inner subjectivity and that being the emphasis of working within that therapeutic relationship. Um, SIP is really emphasizing a bottom-up perspective. Uh, a lot of people use that concept, but what we mean in that is developmentally bottom up. So the way that our nervous systems and our uh, brain structures are created and built and the way that information flows through them is from the bottom up, meaning starting with like sensory input in the body, uh, being able to have affect and emotional responses to that, and then eventually coming to a cognitive, rational understanding of what that means, meaning making of it. So we teach all of that, how that's formed, how that's developed, and then um, help us to understand how to see our clients with that information. And that bottom-up perspective, as well as the developmental perspective. So throughout the lifespan, um, those developmental experiences and how all of that shows up um, in the client as they arrive to the therapy session. That word intersubjective comes in again. So we have a big emphasis on the um, nature of being humans in relationship with each other and that the therapy dynamic is mimicking that. It is a real relationship and being able to bring this clinical work into this relationship between therapist and client as a way to heal from relational wounds of the past and template new, healthy, adaptive, relational um, interactions for their life outside of therapy. Yeah. I think one of the things that I love about bringing these three together is that it really grounds us in a foundation of understanding how, as humans, we are experientially built. We are created cell by cell based on our environment and based on our relational experiences. And so if later in life, we want things to feel different and be different, where our clients are in our own bodies, that has to happen in the same way. 
We heal relationally. We heal based on experience. And so looking at how we're built originally helps us understand how to create experiences with our clients that are going to have the, the power to really create a deep neurological change for them. So as the training is kind of set up, we actually take the entire first day. It's a three-day training really the first day and maybe even like a quarter of the second day to go through each one of these um, theoretical approaches in depth. And and maybe I'll use a different word than in depth. Really, it's like a, a sweeping uh, summary of it, but it, it feels in depth compared to what we maybe get in like a brief training. Uh, so we, we take attachment and neurodevelopment and we really look at developmentally how is the brain being structured? What, what are the functions of the primary structures of the brain? And how does that then influence the way the client is showing up? And how was it influenced as it was being developed? So we're looking at neurological development in relationship and how that those two come to play with one another. So you would get into the, the nitty gritty of early attachment experiences, um, how that sets forth different patterns in our nervous systems, a different way of perceiving and functioning, behaving, and really starting to look at those early primary attachment experiences and then thereafter the patterns that are developed as a result of that. Yeah, one uh, piece that I'll mention here because it's one of my favorite things that um, we talk about in SIP is the idea of we develop strategies in order to survive our original environment. And when we're looking at attachment and neurodevelopment, what we're really seeing is how did this individual have to strategize in order to meet the demands of their environment? And it really helps us uh, have a much better sense of what symptoms actually are, right? They're not just some random malfunction of an organism. They are strategic for the purpose of survival. And so we can meet those presentations which, with a much better understanding of what is it going to take for this organism to uh, release this strategy? It takes uh, the feeling of it being safe enough to try something new, right? And that goes all the way back to looking at what were the original attachment experiences um, that formed that strategy in the first place. Mm -hmm. That concept of strategy is probably one of the most profound that people take out of the training of not just not just reconceptualizing symptoms as strategies, but this process of being able to acknowledge that, honor them for what they are, de-shame them is already going to take some of the power um, out of that. When we look at it as a symptom being like disruptive in their life, like to de-shame it, really honor it and align with it. And then through that safety, as Melissa was saying, like we have to feel safe enough, like through that alignment with the strategy, then be able to offer new experiences that allow that strategy to no longer feel relevant, to no longer be present. Um, anyone who's trained in EMDR is maybe like, oh, this is kind of starting to sound familiar. We're looking at like the roots of what originally causes these symptoms. It all starts with trauma. Yes, it all meshes together beautifully, which is why we have a whole area on AIP, but it's kind of that, uh, the convergence of AIP with attachment and neurodevelopment. We're not just functioning from our perspective of AIP, but we're now bringing in all of the knowledge around these early attachment experiences and the strategies that were developed to get our needs met. 
um, as being, you know, a part of those early experiences that then create symptoms or strategies later. So we also talk about somatic psych and uh, Jen smiled at me because I'm always eager to talk about this. This is my thing. <laughs> um, so in somatic psych, we we highlight uh, polyvagal theory, but that's not the only thing that we, we discuss and really share because it's just one um, aspect of a human body, right? The, the vagal nerve is a very important part <laughs> of the human body, but it's not the only relevant bit to, to what we do. So when we zoom in to the lens of somatic psychology, we look at the vagal nerve in, in polyvagal theory because it really is essential um, in our understanding of these strategies of how a human body navigates threat. But we're also going to look at the body as a whole and look at what what can we um, encounter body to body in a therapeutic setting that really helps us work towards the goals that, that we have? So for instance, what does safety actually feel like in our client's body? Safety as an idea is totally different than really tuning into the actual sensation of what safety does in my cells when I'm feeling it, right? So somatic psychology helps us zoom in to those sensational experiences that are really helpful in the therapeutic process to get the change that we're hoping to, to experience with our clients actually rooted in their physical body in a way that they can feel, right? In a way that they can actually sense and connect with. So we're not just doing this all cognitively. We're doing it in our guts. We're doing it in our heart. We're doing it in our muscles and our bones so that this is a systemic and holistic change that they're experiencing and not just a management uh, process through their cognitions. And so somatic psych is where we really zoom into that and we can get into a lot of fun discussion about how different strategies show up in the body, how to look at our client's body and their body patterns, such as the way to sit, talk, breathe, do eye contact, and how, how might that help us discern uh, what's going on for them emotionally? What does that tell us about the strategies they've developed, et cetera? Um, so th this lens in particular kind of broadens our domain from just the thoughts and the feelings to every cell of a human organism is relevant to our work. Mm -hmm. One thing I have loved so much about even my own learning process around somatic psychology is it's it's not just, especially in this training, another modality or tool to have to learn of like, okay, this is what I need to be doing instead of these others. It's how do I bring this into these more cognitive uh, tools that I've learned? Like, how do I get the whole system online? If I'm using a very like cognitively emphasized uh, intervention or modality, how can I hold this awareness that their body is a part of this? Um, and how do I invite it in and bring it online to the work we're doing there so that we're healing the whole system, not just shifting cognition, but we're really getting down into where are these experiences stored and what kind of patterning has been stored in the system? And can we invite that to be present and be recognized? It's a to, you know, to keep connecting with EMDR, like, that shift is so different when we're working on trauma from a holistic perspective versus a more cognitively emphasized approach. And so this, this whole section of the training is about teaching kind of what all this means and how we can then start to invite it into some of the work that we're already doing. 
Uh, last but not least, AIP and memory. Um, in this area, we're looking at how these past experiences that have influenced really everything, our developmental experiences, how they are captured and stored within our system, how memories are stored, and what that then can um, evoke later in our lived experiences. And how do we begin to start to work with memory as a way to access uh, the, the stored experiences in our system and release what's being stored and reprocess or reconsolidate that memory into a, a storage that is going to honor and serve our current circumstances better. So this is a lot of you that are trained in EMDR have heard extensive information on AIP. Those of you that have who haven't, um, this is really just emphasizing specific lived experiences will set forth patterns of uh, sensation, affect, cognition, perception, behavior, those stored experiences will set forth these patterns that we will then live our life with unless something comes in and changes that. And so looking at this as we come to understand that on a deeper level, then we have more opportunities of how do we access those memories, activate them, and be able to offer a new mismatched experience to help the system reprocess that and store it differently. And again, we're looking at the theory behind all of it, not just the intervention. Um, and we're able to see here that there's there's more than just one tool like EMDR uh, reprocessing or bilateral that can support in this. There's many of the things that we do, many interventions that can really step in and support in our work here. Yeah, one of the um, pieces that we really do a zoom in on in this section is the uh, neurological mechanisms of change, right? So in simpler words, how does the nervous system edit itself? Like, how does that actually happen on a cellular level? And it's incredibly helpful for us to know what are the exact steps that the nervous system follows in order to make edits <laughs> to itself. Um, because if the edits are happening on that level, then the client doesn't have to manage uh, things to be different. Things are going to spontaneously be functioning differently. They're not going to have the same reaction patterns and therefore behavioral patterns because it's uh, been edited on such a deep level. So we, we talk about uh, the different types of memory reconsolidation, that there's transformational types. There's also partial types, which uh, we use a lot in therapy because sometimes the big transformations are a little too much too soon. <laughs> um, and so we, we go into the details of how can we partner with that neurological process and really understand the details of it so that we can feel exactly what we're doing um, step by step. So the, the last little bit that we'll talk about in the summary of SIP before we get into questions is looking at the fact that all of this is unfolding in the relationship of therapist and client. Um, and this is where we come into the concept of the intersubjective space. This is us looking at the difference between subject and object when it comes to human interaction and human relationship. Um, and if we start to see subject as something that holds um, emotion, nuance, adaptability, change, object is something that's static. 
it's consistent and it, it, it doesn't change. It stays as it once was. If we start to bring that idea into the therapy relationship, we are often trained to and kind of encouraged to show up as a therapist more as an object. How do I be an object, which is a source of wisdom, knowledge, uh, ability, tools, intervention, and I need to remove and leave my own subjectivity, my own humanness, the, the stuff that makes me me. I need to kind of check that at the door. And we're trying to go into our work in this way. But the kind of work we're doing is this deep relace, relational interpersonal dynamics. And that can be really challenging to do when we're showing up as object or our client is showing up as object. And they're showing up in this way of like, okay, I'm client. What am I supposed to do? How do I be a, a good client or the right kind of client? Or how do I reach those most successful outcomes um, in treatment? And so to try to move this dynamic from being object to object interaction more into subject to subject, human to human, when we can create a space like that, that is really where we're going to find the most, most rich opportunity to really create those corrective experiences of the relational trauma from the past. Mm -hmm. So we talk in the links about what this is, how do we work with that? How do we create that space and that dynamic, uh, that inter interpersonal dynamic between us and clients? Um, and how do we start to bring the tools that we do have into that space and make them as personal and relational as possible? Mm -hmm. And being able to work and be conscious of that intersubjective space, uh, my one of my favorite bits about it is how supportive it ends up being to us as human therapists, right? The work that we do is hard. Um, and when we are trained to uh, ignore our humanity in that process, that's one of our risks of burnout. <laughs> and so actually getting to include our humanness in the process is one of the ways that we protect ourselves from burnout. And there are ways to do that where we are still having appropriate limits in the relationship with the client, right? This doesn't mean that we're um, being our full human self, right, in every version that that means. But it does mean that maybe more of me than I have previously is welcomed in. And we can have a lot of subtlety and nuance to what gets included and why. But it means that I can relax and not be second guessing myself all the time. <laughs> and it also means that when our work really impacts us, we don't have to feel like we've done something wrong, right? That we're allowed to be the humans that we are in this process. So intersubjectivity, I think, is a real gift to us as therapists as well. And it also means that we get to tap back into what I consider our greatest resource in therapy, which is our own body, the sensations that are happening in our own organismic self. If we have practice at tracking what's happening in the space between us, that means I can listen to my intuition and to my body sensations to help me uh, make clinical decisions more effectively. Mm -hmm. As you were, you know, describing that, Melissa, I'm just thinking of that dynamic of either myself coming into a session as more object or feeling the pull from my client to be more abject, that pull of like, so what What are we supposed to do about it? Or uh, I ask a question, I don't know, that's why I'm here. What, what, what can we do? Or how are we going to fix this? Like they're wanting me to be a source of like answer and relief 
and just wanting to offer another solution, another strategy, another fix it, and the exhaustion that I feel in that space and really the like um, pressure. Pressure, mm-hmm. yeah, insecurity, imposter, like, oh my gosh, maybe if I took another training, I would know what to do. Or maybe if I was better at this, I would know how to respond to that. I'm seeing yeah. lots of resonance when you're saying this, Jen. <laughs> I'm seeing like lots of nodding heads. I'm not alone. <laughs> yes. it's so real. Like it's it's just so real. And the yeah, the pressure, that's a perfect word for that, that you feel in that space. And when we're in that. I think we can lose such sight of really what is the most like healing experience isn't about just another strategy because guess what? They take that strategy, they try it on, it works for just a little bit. It doesn't. And then they feel shame and like they're a failure and incapable. And we just keep perpetuating this process. Really the depth of what we desire to experience is these corrective, emotional, relational moments that are like, oh, that's what I needed that I didn't get. And I never thought I would get it. And here it was, it showed up and it was there. And it taught me something different about myself. It taught me something different about this emotional world around me. Those are the moments that give me life as a therapist. I don't leave feeling like that, like burnout or feeling like stifled. I feel like, oh, that's real, that's human. And sometimes it takes being able to conceptualize like how those are meaningful. Uh, I think instinctually, a lot of us feel that and desire to work that way, but we're not sure like, how does that really help? How is this actually addressing their trauma? How can I, how can I make this really special moment we had and make sense of it as like clinical and therapeutic? And that's what I think our SIP beautifully does is it helps people explain these natural interactions and how they're actually some of the most powerful interventions that we have. We just didn't realize what they were doing. And then we can do it with even more intention around it. It's not just kind of occurring organically, which that's very wonderful too, but we can guide the the interactions into those moments specifically for the sake of healing one of their wounds from the past. We can have more awareness, more intentionality around it, which is going to help those be even more effective. Yeah. And this spot is such a good example of when you can bring multiple lenses together, right? So when we bring that lens of attachment and what we're doing relationally together with that lens of the neurobiology then we can use the relationship intentionally to create the neurological experiences that are going to result in that deep change, right? Uh, Otherwise, we're just kind of of crossing our fingers and hoping (laughs) that that change will occur, right? But when we can conceptualize through multiple lenses at once, um, that's what Jen was saying about we can be a lot more efficient in our work, right? We can work more deeply, but more accurately and really be on the spot where we're going to get the most change. Um, But we need to be able to look at it through through different perspectives in order to get that kind of richness. Yeah, all these last couple of slides are basically just remember I signed up to a training, an overseas training. Maddie's mic is on just kind of this morning. Oh, Sarah, can you mute yourself? There we go. Feel a little mini panic for people when that happens. Um yeah, these slides are kind of just bullet points saying all the things that we basically just said. Um 
I would love just kind of tracking our time. We're right at about the halfway point, which feels uh, right on track. I would love to open up for any reflections on on what you're hearing or even more specific questions. If you're wanting to get into some of the details of like, what is SAP? How could it be helpful? And is this something that would benefit you in your practice? Mm -hmm. Feel free to drop chat. Um, if you don't want to speak out or if you're willing to take your mic off of mute and then share with us. Yeah. Hi. Um, I'm willing to share. Thank you. I had a really reflective, um, I was working with someone who wanted to do EMDR, a lot of trauma, um, and we couldn't get there. She couldn't get there. I felt like there was always this blanket over her, like this thick you know, I just couldn't get in there into any emotion. So the last time we met, um, I didn't plan it, but I just said, look, I'd like you to put your hand on your abdomen. First, I said, how do you breathe? Let's talk about how you breathe. And I started talking about breathing from the bottom all the way up and up and up and seeing how far we could go. So what happened was, is that she doesn't breathe in her abdomen. So I said, can you just breathe into your abdomen? Let's just see how we can just start with that mm-hmm. and nothing and nothing further. Well, we spent the rest of the session with her silently crying, not mm-hmm. speaking at all. And when I met with her the, pre- the following week, she said that she had to go to bed for the whole day. And I thought, mm-hmm. And as you're talking now, one of the other like areas of like um, tactile, one of the traumas, I was just thinking the cold floor, the cold floor. And I love thinking about like using that Well, maybe something cold. We're not going to get there for quite a while. And this is someone I might see in person because I we're doing this remotely. But um, I was pretty fascinated with that. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, yeah. 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 When I I think one of the um, really enjoyable things about case conceptualization is that we can take a moment like that and really zoom in, right, and say, you know, what was happening for her in her body, in making contact with herself to really feel herself breathe in her abdomen, right? What what was happening internally for her? And how did that shift energy and move something so that suddenly that self-contact turns to crying, right? And and what is the body releasing there? And how is that then connected to previous experience, right? To early attachment history. And so then we can start to zoom out and say, how might we take this granular experience of a breathing exercise and maybe translate it into something broader that can really generalize and make a big shift for her, right? And and case conceptualization is the process of doing that. Zoom in, zoom out, meaning making. And one thing that uh, I find a lot of richness in is when we get to the point with a client where we start to make this meaning together, right? Where they've been in this process long enough with us that we can start to talk about um, how they're making sense 
of those granular experiences and how we're going to generalize them out um, in, in that bigger picture. And they start making their own connections, right? They, they learn this process of taking the present moment and tracking it back in time, tracking it back to early relationships, tracking it in their own body, being with their own sensations. Um, like it, it adds a layer of richness when we start to uh, conceptualize with our clients. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that story, Andrea. Yeah. Yeah. That, Melissa, as you were describing that, I think the ability to zoom in and zoom out and then ultimately from that, make meaning of it. When the the most powerful part of a somatic experience like that is not just having it, it's about having it and then integrating it, which is where the like somatic integration, it's having, connecting with the somatic piece and then integrating what meaning do we make of that? And from there, how do we generalize that to more um, and be able to like internalize that, that meaning in some way? And this is where like a lot of our interventions emphasize maybe somatics like breath work and, and even just like tracking sensation and touch, or it emphasizes cognition, or maybe even emphasizes like emotion, emotional awareness, emotional tracking, emotional release. But it's not until we are able to integrate one of those in with the rest of the system that it really is going to have its greatest impact and be generalizable for other experiences. Um, and that's where the case conceptualization helps us to take any one of those and see how it connects with the rest of the system, invite that into a greater integration. That's that connection of all of those. And then the meaning making piece. One of the the phrases that we use uh, in SIP, which I'm pretty sure is a quote from somewhere else that I'm not going to remember its lineage, but uh, a healthy mind is an integrated mind. I want to say Dan Siegel. Yeah, I, th I think it might be Dan Siegel. We quote Dan Siegel a lot in the training. So. I guess that's a pretty, <laughs> yeah, good guess of mine. It is, it is a, a proportionately good guess. Yeah. Um, the Another way that I sometimes say this to clients um, that is is very client friendly language is you know in therapy what we're always attempting in many different ways is can we feel the truth and tell the truth in the same moment right and that's about integration right can the sensation of me the state of my body actually match the story that I'm telling myself right about my experience and can I do it all in the same moment and if we can do that something's going to change and, and this is one of the ways that it takes the pressure off of us as a therapist, because I don't have to have an agenda for what the change is. We're really just creating experience, right? We get to be more artistic and creative with our clients of how can we get the truth in your body and in the story in the same moment, and then we'll see what happens. We'll see what you want to do with that, right? We don't have to decide ahead of time what perfect health looks like for our clients, right? That's too much of a pressure on us, right? Also, I think it's kind of inappropriate for us to <laughs> think that we could, right? So, so this really supports us in being clear about what are we supposed to be doing in sessions? Like, what is our actual goal in this long, complicated process that we're doing? It can feel like a moving target sometimes, but having this depth of understanding means that no matter what we're doing and what intervention we're using, we know what our basic goal is and what our role is in that. Mm -hmm. Other questions or reflections coming up? Um, I have a question. 
Hi, um, I'm Jen. Um, I was wondering a little bit about somatic experiencing in contrast with somatic psychology. Um, and, you know, if there's a lot of overlap between those things, um, I myself have been um, through therapy um, where I've done EMDR with one therapist and I've done SE with another therapist and found a um, benefit from those things combined. And it, you know, it had me to the point where I was like, do I need to also get, you know, trained in this other modality to be able to integrate those two things. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like maybe because of the theory that maybe there's other ways, you know, to make it so that um, the somatic piece is still considered, you know, within the treatment of EMDR. Yeah. Um, so a, a simple answer is that somatic psychology is sort of the big umbrella and SE is a modality under that umbrella. And there's other ones. There's other really good ones. Sensory motor uh, psychotherapy by Pat Ogden is, a, is an example. Uh, Hakomi is a beautiful example. Uh, SER, uh, somatoemotional release, which is a craniosacral lineage. There's lots of really wonderful somatic uh, intervention modalities. But basically, SE is to somatic psychology what EMDR is to AIP. Okay. So what we're attempting to do with SIP is to take us back to that theoretical level so that we don't have to feel like we're choosing which modality we want to use in the moment, but we seamlessly and artistically move between them all, right? So if you want to get trained in a modality because it feels fun to have extra paintbrushes, that's really how it feels to me. <laughs> like sometimes you just want something new because it's fun and shiny. Do that, right? Never stop getting new modalities. I do it all the time. But we can sometimes end up with a whole bunch of paintbrushes and we have no idea what we're trying to paint, right? That's what SIP is trying to do. Can we get really clear about the art that we're trying to create? And then pick pick your paints, right? Also, let the client pick the paints most of the time, right? Because different things are going to work for different bodies. So SIP is really aimed at that integration piece. It's aimed at can we have a a way of thinking and conceptualizing our work so it doesn't feel so... um, uh, cut and dry between those modalities, right? It doesn't feel like this weird hard shift of like, okay, I'm shifting into EMDR gear. Okay, now I'm s- shifting into somatic gear, right? I do all of them and my clients don't know the difference, right? It, it is just a, a jumbly blend, right? And it, it's uh, based on the need in the moment that we can be responsive to. Yeah, wonderful question. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think we need to coin that the jumbly blend is our approach because it's so real. The blend. <laughs> it's so real. I'm thinking of like coming out of grad school, like being so excited to like own the badge of I'm an eclectic therapist, really, because I had no idea what I actually was. I was just eclectic. And then realizing like, oh, but I I don't really know exactly. I have so much I can do and I see little benefits to all of it, but I don't know. But why would I choose this over this? Or how would I bring them together? And that jumbly blend with a strong case conceptualization allows us to be very eclectic with like lots of wisdom and intuition and instinct on how to bring in the beautiful paintbrushes um, and let it all exist. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'll say that I think is lovely about uh, our privilege of working together as a team 
is that each of us as humans has a bit of a bent in one of these directions, right? We have our favorite paintbrush um, and it's, it's amazing to work together because there's no need to prioritize one way over the other, right? Um, like while I always lean in the body direction, the truth is there's some clients where if I try to do that, that does not work for them, right? And so, so being able to honor all of these different tools that we have without feeling um, overly attached to any of them, but really being able to be fluid and understand the the biology behind it, um, I just creates something like in our work that feels incredibly free um, and less restrict restrictive. If you were somebody that like took an EMDR training or something uh, like EMDR and you really didn't like the scripts, there was something in you that got a little rebellious about it. Like, wh what do you mean I'm going to read a script? <laughs> then this is one of the ways that we can start to back away from the very scripted protocols while still maintaining fidelity to what that uh, protocol is trying to do. We don't lose the good stuff, but neither do we have to feel constrained by this is the way that we do it. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have any? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You go ahead, Che. You sure? Okay. Um, it's just a quick question. I'm so I'm a big reader, and I just I don't I like to read to retain information. Um, so any book recommendations that would kind of be like some of this polyvagal theory or somatic information for like dummies? Essentially, it took me a while to get the AIP down when I did my EMDR training. Uh, yeah. So uh, as far as PBT goes, uh, read Deb Dana. Don't read Stephen Porges if you want the the gentler version. So Steve is the uh, neurobiologist, the neuroscientist behind it all. So his books read that way. Uh, Deb Dana is the therapist that took that theory and translated it into therapeutic applications. So uh, Deb Dana is where I would start. As far as somatics goes, um, this, this wasn't intentional, but I have a lovely book right here. <laughs> uh, Linda Hartley. Um, I, I'm going to use this uh, for uh, a master's program in, as an introduction to somatic psychology. Uh, so Linda Hartley is a really great place. Susan Apotion uh, has a book called Body Psychotherapy, which is really great. And if you're like brand new to considering the body, like, oh, we have one. I know that. But what do I do with it? Um, there is a book called The Wisdom of the Body um, by Hilary McBride. That's one that's nice to read because you can give it to clients as well. It's a client-friendly book that will just kind of give a basic introduction to the this of us, right? If you want the zoom in on trauma in the body, uh, then Vanderkolk and Levine, uh, those books are kind of the standards for that. But there's a lot more to the body than just trauma, right? Like <laughs> it's there all the time. So so it's, it's nice to get a more holistic perspective um, on somatic psychology as a whole. And I can give you many more if you ever want more. Yeah. I was yep. just trying to like get a link for some of those and I got one in and then you kept going. So uh, the, first, <laughs> the first link I dropped was a book that came to mind when you asked that is making sense together. And that's going to really go into inner subjectivity. Um, so kind of in the whole spectrum of what SIP is covering, uh, Melissa mentioned several on SIP, trauma in the body. And the somatic psychology, like all of those pieces, and then the intersubjectivity, I'd say making sense together would be the go-to source for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just authors in general, like Dan Siegel, of course, another really good one in that realm is uh, Alan Shore, S-C-H-O-R-E, is a, a great one. 
Yeah. Uh, Jen, I, think so- I own almost every Dan Siegel book. So big fan of him. <laughs> and it's also a good start. Dr. Bruce Perry. So yes. I'm, I'm on that train. Yes. <laughs> Perry is wonderful as well. Um, Jen, there's a question in the chat about um, discounts for students and then discounts for people that um, attend this event. Yes. So um, you reposted the link. We'll post it again here. If you want to check out the training on our website, there's more, a little bit more information, probably not anything more than what we've shared on here, but you can use the link that I just posted in the chat. And then there's a discount code um, for $50 off. And it's just all caps. I just put it in the chat as well, but discount five zero. Um, and once you get in there, if you decide to register, you can pay in full, which also offers um, an additional $50 discount, or you can do a six-month payment plan. So you can have that spread out over six months if that's supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a training coming up in November, the first weekend of November. We're going to be in Kentucky, but it will be virtual as well. So all of our trainings are hybrid where we do in-person and then um, a couple of video shots, a virtual option. So you can get a good view and then you have a moderator that's there to one of the trainers is in the chat and connecting with you separate from the live group for Q&A. And that will be November And then we'll have three or four more trainings next year. I don't think we have the dates posted on the website yet for that, but I would say within the next few weeks, those should be posted. There will be one in February for sure. Um, So that would be the the next one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the November training is asked in here would be Melissa Bridger and I, and then um, throughout the next year, it rotates three trainers out of Melissa, Bridger, Caleb, and myself. So three out of the four of us will be at each training. And you you can, I think we posted on the website, but you can also always ask us. Um, and I think if you are currently in school, um, I believe that there is a, a little bit more of a, a discount, um, but go ahead and email us so that you can also provide verification that you are a student. We'll do that by email. Ryan, um, Jen's husband handles all of that for us. We don't have a more technologically savvy system than email <laughs> to approve that. So uh, just email us if, if you'd like to talk about the, the student discount. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Nancy. Thank you. Um, I have a, um, it might be a question or just sharing something and asking for feedback, but I have a client that um, lifetime um, CPSD, some, some incredibly horrific situations. Um, the first target that we reprocessed, I don't remember what the target was, but it was literally she had like this um, bubble that just popped literally from, from arms to chest to legs to feet to, and it went around and around and, you know, um, interjecting a few interweaves, you know, can we go to your head? What do you, um, what does it feel like? Does it, you know, what does it look like? Whatever we could do. And it was just, nope, I'm playing ball inside my body. And uh, so we did close that one down. Um, We've since been able to reprocess other targets. She does dissociate. Um, she's very, very aware of it. Um, you know, um, she's um, very aware of her of 
different parts. She's got Marge in charge when it's time to clean the house, you know, and um, uh, she's really, really funny too. So being concerned about the, just the, the um, rotation throughout her body and um, being unable or having fear around bringing it more forward. So like I said, we, we, we retargeted it for later and kind of changed it up a little bit. Um, I do have to be watch her window of tolerance, be careful of her dissociation. Um, she does really well with, with, uh, letting me check in with her and, um, you know, we'll check in a couple of times and then, and she'll just go. And, and it's, it's, one of the most incredible things to watch somebody when they really get into it, you can see the eye movement. And then when they reflect on something, um, it sidebar just yesterday, I had a guy say he could feel the sun and his head literally turned up right before he shared that. And, you know, a few other things, um, any ideas, any suggestions? Oh, and I did just get this book. It's, um, EMDR therapy and somatic psychology with, Ariel Schwartz and Barb Meiberger. So I don't know if that was on your list. I haven't even opened it. Okay, well, I can't open it now, but I haven't read anything of it yet. Um, so, and I, 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 there's such an organic fluidity with um, the relationship with a client, but what they're processing that um, it's, it's like best thing to be a part of. Mm-hmm. you know and uh but this this bubble popping around the body was just it was so unusual and so different so what any idea um, so one of the greatly neglected areas i think in basic training is uh body interweaving right so the body is so communicative <laughs> uh, sometimes and yet most of us don't have a lot of training and like well how do we offer an interweave that's more directed at that right um, and so, you know, my, my brief answer, although, you know, if we were to do a deep dive, I would ask a lot more is that whenever we're, um, wanting to interweave with the body, um, however, they're expressing to it, it, it to us is a symbol of their internal experience. And so we can work with the imagery and be curious towards that imagery. Right. And so trying different angles of, okay, as you feel that moving around in your body, does it want to share something with you about why it's moving in that way? Right. Is there another picture that goes with that movement? Right. Do you feel an impulse or compelled to do anything in response to that? Right. So it's, it's staying with the sensation and with the symbol, um, but offering interviews um, that are really more interactions. Because the thing about working with the body is that it's harder for us to always know what it means, right? It's it's much more vague about its meaning. And if we're not used to working in that realm, especially at the beginning, it's like, well, I don't know what it means that there's a ball floating around in your body. That's a new one, right? So the, the basic uh, stance that we take is get curious. Use interweaves of curiosity, connect with it, get curious, and just see what emerges. Um, my felt sense there, Nancy, is that I think that uh, body was showing that there might be a feeder memory back there, right? It was showing you that you're you're on the trail, but you're not on the real thing yet. And sometimes if we can engage with the sensation and follow it back in time, then we might uh, find where that sensation is actually coming from. Uh, but that's, you know, based on a little bit of info. No, that's that, that, that is interesting, especially um, because it was a ball from... Uh, 
the age of probably about seven and it increased unfortunately but fun equals danger fun equals death um and so if it was a literal ball there's there's no way she could acknowledge it and, and with the feeder memory going back there um and and her deliberately staying as distant from it as possible mm-hmm. um Oh, uh, goosebumps girls <laughs> oh yay that's what we like <laughs> yeah that's the zoom in zoom out right yeah and if we zoom out and say oh does this have something to do with a phobia of play because it was unsafe in her early attachment relationships to express express play response yeah could be very interesting to follow that great example what i want to highlight and listen what like the little magic you just worked in that like beautiful to get to watch that unfold it take this little blip of information and start exploring like what could we actually do with it and how could we hypothesize what's really going on there when you use the phrase the somatic interweave we're taking this disintegrated system right you talked about her dissociation like there's there's uh processing in the mind or the body but it's not connected she can go into body. A lot of dissociation looks like, oh, there's no awareness of the body. No, she's feeling the body, but it's not integrated with the meaning making, with the memory, with the mind, with her cognition. It's just these strange sensations that keep moving and nothing really gets connected. We just track the same pattern over and over and over. And so what Melissa is describing is this like the integration piece. How do we start interweaving? Like literally, I sometimes I just imagine like, like grabbing over to like the other piece and saying, come a little bit closer. Like we're going to grab into the sensory piece and say, what color is that? What, what meaning are we making of that? Could it, if it could say something, what would it say? We're starting to pull the sensation into other uh, regions of the brain to add more input to it. So that interweave is like bringing those in together towards integration where both mind and body are in alignment and able to express and communicate something. That's so true. And it is, it was kind of cool. The little bit I gave you, see what you can do with that, miss, you know, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, and then when, when Jen, when you were just sharing, I'm flooded with different snippets of experiences um a young lady who dissociates and ends the way she described where she goes was so incredible like i could go there and um and she's had a couple other emdr therapists before me could never get any um resourcing done so we resourced that you know what i mean and it's just you know a whole different sidebar for hours and hours, but um, she never could understand that she, we did the loving eyes protocol, which makes me cry every time. Um, but she didn't know that her, you know, seven to 10 year old self was holding all of her pain and her experiences. And when we got through that, she's like, well, I don't think this, this kid deserves my forgiveness or anything like that. We, process through that. And she was just like, wow, I can't believe I'm so grateful, you know, and, um, you know, holding her hand and saying, thank you. And it was just, um, so the same kind of thing with the disconnect and not, and not having the recognition of, um, what you went through and not having 
the ability to even remotely touch into that pain and experience um, and, and being angry about that you would have had it anyway. Um, but saying so, so anyways, I, I'll stop because I won't, <laughs> but it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Well, and you know, what you're saying, Nancy reminds me. Um, so the, the INSIP, when we lay the foundation of, you know, the basic biological, neurobiological and attachment foundation of all of this, um, but then there's so much more that can happen on top of that. So uh, the other trainings that we offer that are the advanced SIP trainings are when we go in deep <laughs> on some of these pieces. We have uh, one that Jen and Bridger teaches called Healing the Fragmented Self, which uh, really is taking all of this theoretical foundation and looking at, you know, why do things like ego state, IFS, parts work, um, loving eyes protocol, like, what is that? What is the body doing in there? Like, why does that work the way that it does, right? It's not just us creating some protocol, right? Because it seemed like a good idea. They are actual uh, mirrors to us of what is happening neurologically, right? And so we can understand our interventions with a totally different perspective when we look at it that way. The other advanced training is called body and mind. And it's really looking at the integration between uh, somatic um, experiences of all kinds and how we make meaning of our lives, right? And the therapist's ability to work in that line between uh, sensation and meaning making. Um, and that's one that Kayla and I teach. And so like SIP1 is that foundational layer. And then we can keep going if you want to. <laughs> it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and drop Melissa and my email address in here. Um, if you guys do have any follow-up questions, I know this was a short, short hour. Um, so if you have follow-up questions about SAP one training or even the advanced trainings um, or anything else, uh, feel free to shoot us an email, check out our website. It's filled with many different offerings that we have other than just SIP, other uh, one-day trainings. We have a EMDR for complex trauma where we teach a very shortened version of SIP, but directly related to the eight-phase protocol and how we can start to nuance each phase to incorporate more of those advanced uh, concepts for complex trauma uh, so there's lots there, lots, lots of resources out there. Um, but yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. We'd be happy to connect through email or in some other way, if that's helpful. Uh, Laura just asked a great question. If we need EMDR training before SIP, great question. No, um, SIP is not specific to any one modality. It is the theoretical uh, synthesis. And then from there is where you can really start to lean into a sp specific modality. We just talk a lot about EMDR because we love it. <laughs> I also so. wanted to say, if you guys don't want to wait for a training to get support, um, both Jen and I, uh, depending on space in our calendar, do offer individual or small group consultation. So if either yourself or if you have a couple of people, um, you can, you know, borrow us for an hour. <laughs> and uh, that's that's a really, really fun spot to kind of go in deep on a client or a specific situation. Like that's one of the, our favorite things that we do because there's so much depth that we can get into. So if there's a client that you're feeling stumped about, or if you're noticing a pattern in your work of, Ugh, I keep getting stuck with this particular kind of presentation, um, that's one of the ways that we can also support is just getting on a call with you and going in deep on a particular case, if that feels helpful. So if you want to do that, just email us directly, and uh, that's the easiest way. 
Yes, thank you all for joining. Have a great rest thank of your you. afternoon. Um, and we'll talk thank again soon. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast.